right. Uh, sorry to be a little silly, um, but we are reading a, a story called Sexy, and I thought Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On was appropriate for this story. Um, this is actually a very sad story, as you know, having read it, but um, <laughs> there is something in our society that is, what's the way to put it, destructive, I think. Um, very destructive. And I think it's really our, our view in society uh, about sex and about sexual gratification. And sadly, uh, the, the the sexual revolution in the 1960s um, has done a lot to, to really ruin um, a very healthy view uh, of something that is really wonderful and important, uh, which is sexual intimacy. Um, there were some positive things that came out of the sexual revolution in terms of um, greater freedoms for individuals, which I think is wonderful. People should be free. People should, um, yeah, they should, should, should enjoy great freedom and freedom is a great value to fight for and to protect for others. Um, but um, this idea of, of sexual liberty um, has taken something very precious and put it in into a context that is very destructive. And so in this story that starts in a really interesting way, um, starts this way. It was a wife's worst nightmare. After nine years of marriage, Laxmi told Miranda her cousin's husband had fallen in love with another woman. He sat next to her on a, a, on a plane, on a flight from Delhi to Montreal. And instead of flying home to his wife and son, he got off with the woman at Heathrow. He called his wife and told her he'd have a conversation. He told his wife, Sorry, he called his wife and told her he had a conversation that had changed his life and that he needed time to figure things out. Laxmi's cousin had taken her to her bed. All right, so you have an interesting set of symbols and, and things going on here. One is that the airplane is an interesting symbol. This flight uh, in between two places, right? He is going toward home, but he's not at home. And so he's in this liminal space, we might call that. A liminal space in between two kind of concrete physical places. And in that space, in that space and time, he is very confused about what love is, about what family is, about what commitment is. And he makes a choice that, that uh, he makes a choice in that liminal space uh, that destroys his family. Uh, and it's very tragic to see that. Well, Miranda, interestingly enough, obviously is living a parallel life to her friend Lakshmi or Lakshmi's cousin, right? Um, Lakshmi, uh, Lakshmi's cousin's husband is the one that has this affair. And so Miranda lives this kind of parallel life secretly. She can't tell her friend Lakshmi about her own um, illustrious affair or her own kind of sexual uh relationship with a married man because obviously her friend Lakshmi would see this as a, a great betrayal that uh, Miranda was the same as this woman who um, drew away her, her cousin her cousin's um, husband and uh, and so this uh, this idea of what is what is the purpose and place of, of sexuality and what is this idea of sexy? Um, if you look at that second page, uh, this is page uh, 84, it says, De Dev was Bengali, too. At first, Miranda thought it was a religion. 
But then he pointed it out to her, a place in India called Bengal. In a map printed in an issue of The Economist, he had brought the magazine specially to her apartment, for she did not own an atlas or any other books with maps in them. He'd pointed to the city where he'd been born in another city where his father had been born. One of the cities had a box around it, intended to attract the reader's eye. When Miranda asked what the box indicated, Dev rolled up the magazine and said, nothing you'll ever need to worry about. And he tapped her playfully on the head. Dev, um, he is the kind of the instigator of this affair. He is the one in the kind of cosmetics area of the mall that that moves toward Miranda and instigates this relationship. He being the married man and him, uh, he being the one who is looking for something extra on the side. Um, he being the one who is not satisfied um, or doesn't believe he's satisfied in his marriage. And so he wants to add a little spice, if you will, to his life. And, uh, and Miranda is just lonely enough and just desperate enough to be vulnerable to his charms. There's a lot of unhealth, obviously, as we see this throughout the, this story that Lahiri makes very clear to us. Miranda is in a terrible spot, very lonely, very much unsatisfied with her single life, um, longing for connection and love and understanding. And sadly, she makes a very bad choice and moves toward Dev. Dev, um, perhaps also in a very similar spot not feeling satisfied in his marriage for whatever reason. It could be just that he's a greedy jerk. Uh, that's kind of my feeling. But it could also be that, uh, you know, in his marriage, there's a lot of disconnection, misunderstanding, and a lack of love and care. Uh, all these things make him uh, hungry for something more. All the, all the emptiness in Miranda's life make her hungry. And so these two come together to kind of provide some satisfaction for one another. Sadly, it seems that Dev has more than his fill of, of affection from his own wife and his family, whereas Miranda is the one who is even more desperate to fill her time. And so she sits around on Saturday, longingly waiting for Sunday. Right? She says Saturday is the worst day because it feels as if Sunday would never come. And that's the one day a week where she and Dev can, can get together and, and enjoy each other physically. Um, other than that physical connection, there's really nothing going on between the two of them. Dev treats her as if she's a child. That's a very interesting little phrase here. He tapped her playfully on the head. That is demeaning. Um, in, in literature, when you see um, characters interact in a way that is uh, childish, uh, that should often signal a, a more demeaning uh, feeling between two people. In, um, oh man, I think it's, shucks, let me look it up online real fast. I think it's Henrik Ibsen, but it's called The Doll's House. Um, Right now, as we speak, uh, I just want to fact check myself before I say it. Yeah, Henrik Ibsen. Yeah, Henrik Ibsen writes a, a play called A Doll's House, and I recommend it. It's a very, very interesting story. Uh, but in it, you have a, a husband who treats his wife like a little plaything. He's very demeaning to her. He sees her in this role of wife and... Um, yeah, in this role of wife, as a wife, she is kind of demeaned. She's she's seen as someone without much of a brain, without much uh, ability to think or offer anything to him, intellectually speaking. And uh, and so she is treated like a little animal. He, he calls her his little birdie. He calls her his little mouse, uh, little demeaning pet names. And, um, and so you see the same thing here mirrored uh, in a way with Dev and Miranda. Dev taps her on the head playfully 
Um, nothing you'll need to worry about, he says, because you're stupid. You're my little plaything. That's that's kind of what I read between the lines here, to be honest with you. It seems that he sees her simply as um, a woman whom he can receive some extra sexual gratification from, um, and he demeans her. Um, his whole interaction with her is very demeaning, and it's pretty pretty rough. But um, this is one signal for that here as he taps her on the head. Um, Miranda is also kind of portrayed as someone who is a bit shallow, which is quite sad. Um, she does not take herself seriously. She is not apparently someone who thinks much or um, is very intellectually strong. And, you know, as someone we've talked about in class, this goes for men and women, you know, people who aren't thinkers, people who aren't readers, um, you're setting yourself up for disaster. You're setting yourself up to be taken advantage of, just like Miranda. And I'm not sure Lahiri meant to plant that in there, but that plays beautifully into one of my passions um, as I work with students is you need to protect yourself against a world that will take advantage of you. There are many men like Dev. Um, there are many women like Dev as well um, who will take advantage of your ignorance, of your stupidity, of your laziness, and they will manipulate you. And that's a very sad thing. Hopefully a class like this is one more encouragement to, to work on your mind by reading and thinking and cr thinking critically about your life and who you are. What's your value? Um, are you anything more than just a sexually desiring individual? Do you, is there anything more to you than just sexual um, desire and, and a desire to fulfill these different lusts in your, in your brain and in, in your appetite? Of course there is. Um, and yet so many people live in a way that would say no. Many people today seem to live in a, in a way that, um, that is demeaning of themselves because they don't take themselves seriously. And so, yeah, there's no maps. There's no books. There's no atlases in Miranda's apartment. Why? Because she's stupid. <laughs> oh, it's just so sad. And she has allowed herself to be this way. But beautifully and ironically, she meets this little boy whose character is an exact parallel to Dev, which is disturbing in a way, but also awesome. This little boy, I'm just flipping over to, um, let's see here, page Um, let's see here. Sorry, moment. Um, slipping over to page. Um, well, there's a couple things here to, to talk about, but let's go over to page 100. So this little boy walks in. His hair, as it says on page 100, was cut in a thick fringe over his eyes, which had dark circles under them. They were the first thing Miranda noticed. They made him look haggard as if he smoked a great deal and slept very little, in spite of the fact that he was only seven years old. He clasped a large sketch pad with a spiral binding. His name was Rohin. So Rohin has the eyes of an adult. He has the eyes of one who has gone through some suffering. Rohin is a little boy, and his dad is the one um, who has had an affair. And his dad is the one who has left the house, who has chosen his own path and has allowed his own family to, to fall by the wayside. His dad has chosen... Uh, a path of sexual gratification and has basically sacrificed his own family to his own physical lust and desire. Um, and yet here's Rohin, right? Who is full of knowledge right away, right away. He says to her, ask me a capital. He's a young guy and his interests in, in his life is to know more and to learn more. 
And, and this interesting thing about maps, maps in a way are symbolic of, of intellectual understanding, of understanding of the world around you, right? Knowledge of the world, knowledge of the outside world, not just simply physical desire and physical satisfaction or gratification, which is simplistic and stupid, right? Very shallow. Most animals uh, know how to procreate. Um, the idea that you would spend your life in pursuit of just more procreating opportunities is is pretty reductive or simplistic. Is it, Have you been made for, for just that or have you been made for more than just sexual gratification? Uh, clearly by my, by my tone, uh, I, would, I would assume that you've been made for more than that. But what does your life show that would signal that? Miranda, she has a slinky dress in her closet and that's pretty much all she's got. And again, I, you know, we can be as rough as we want with Miranda. She's a, a, a fictional character. She's been created in a way to symbolize something. Miranda as a character has been created to symbolize a very shallow way of looking at life and a way, very shallow way of living. All of Miranda's kind of processes have led her to this moment where she has this affair with Dev and she's just being used in the most, most pathetic way. This little boy Rohin comes into her apartment and he knows 10 times more about the world than she does. She has allowed herself to become shallow and she's allowed herself to become simply a shell, a, a sexual object that is used and abused by a, by a washed up married man with a terrible marriage. Ugh, this whole thing is just so tragic, but it's so important. It's such an important story because here Rohin is, again, set up as a parallel to Dev. Um, Rohin comes in and he has a map. Dev had a map that he showed her. Dev brought a map to her apartment, as did Rohin. Another um, thing that's very similar here is that um, he demands that she participate with him, right? Sit with him, um, uh, engage him. He requires that she bring him some coffee. Right, Dev also does the same thing with her. Then the the, the climactic moment here is when um, he is in her closet and he finds her dress, her little cocktail dress that she bought to dazzle Dev with, but it never worked because um, Dev wasn't even interested in her in her uh, in her looks. <laughs> Sadly, that's how shallow this thing is. Um, he goes to her closet and says to her, he finds this dress and he says, "Put it on." And, and I love this. It's so telling on page 105. There was no reason to put it on. Apart from in the fitting room at Filene's, she had never worn it. And as long as she was with Dev, she knew she never would. She knew they would never go to restaurants where he would reach across the table and kiss her hand. They would meet in her apartment on Sundays, he in his sweatpants, she in her jeans. She took the dress from Rohin and shook it out, even though the slinky fabric never wrinkled. She reached into the closet for a free hanger. Why would Dev never take her to restaurants? Because he doesn't care about her. He's using her. He shows up in his freaking sweatpants. Guy's a turd. But she's a turd as well, right? She lets this happen to herself. So sad. She lets herself just get used by this guy who will never take her out, never kiss her hand, never do anything that signals that she is a human being. She is like a pincushion, and he's just dropping pins, right? It's just so sad. Uh, that's crass, but that's how, again, that, that is what the story, that's how this story is set up. She is simply receiving from him. She's allowing him just to be, um, his sex toy, right? She's just his sex toy. And that's all he's need. That's all he needs from her. And that's all Dev wants from her. 
So he says again, please put it on. Rohin asked, suddenly standing behind her, listen to this language, he pressed his face against her, clasping her waist with both his thin arms. Now, I don't think there's anything sexually going on with between this little boy and Miranda. I don't assume that at all. But these actions, even as a very childlike, simplistic, innocent way, um, Lahiri is setting him up again, even to be more associated as a parallel to death. And that's why that language is used in that way. And then her response, even all right, she said, surprised by the strength of his grip. This is a little man and you're supposed to see him as a little dev in a way. Again, not as a sexual thing, but as a parallel. So she makes him wait outside and um, and she puts it on, right? And and, and then the, and his reaction is wonderful right here. She opened the door. Rohin was holding his almanac in his hands, muttering something under his breath. His eyes opened wide at the side of her. Um, and then a little later on, uh, it says on top of 107, Rohin put down the almanac. You're sexy, he declared. Again, the exact same phrase that Dev uses with her when they're in the... Um, Christian science building, right? The Maporium or whatever it's called. Um, uh, the Maporium, it says here. Miranda sat down. This is 107. Though she knew it meant nothing, her heart skipped a beat. Rohin probably referred to all women as sexy. He probably heard the word on television or seen it on the cover of a magazine. She remembered the day in the Maporium, standing across the bridge from Dev. At the time, she thought she knew what his words meant. At the time, they made sense. All right, so if you slide down a little bit, she gets him to finally tell her what it means. And, and he says, it means loving someone you don't know. And that is just profound, right? Our culture is built on this whole idea of sexiness and sexuality and sexual attraction, um, sex appeal. These are, these are terms. These are, these are, these are commodities. These, these are worth something in our culture in a commodified way. Right? You can you can actually get ahead in our society with sexual or sexual um, attraction, which is pathetic and sad, but it totally works, right? Um, a lot of people say, "Wow, you have to look good uh, to get ahead in our society." Well, the whole idea of sex appeal is a reduction of an individual, turning an individual into a commodity, and I hope none of you will give into that uh, horrific simplification of who you are. Um, if how you look becomes important in your career, you probably should change your career. Sadly, I, I hate to be so bold and perhaps seem so naive to you or idealistic, but it's so true. Our culture is so messed up. And that kind of a career, one that would require you to look a certain way, um, is a kind of career that would be degrading to you over the long haul. Find something in which your mind is the most important. Find a career in which... Um, your heart and your compassion is the most important thing. Uh, the thing that drives your career, not your looks. Um, it's just so degrading over time. And that's the thing that, that, uh, that I see in, in our, one of our things in our society that degrades over time, right? Over, over the long haul. So Miranda, her heart skips a beat there. And that's an important moment for her because I think something kind of wakes up inside of her, right? She's alerted to something. She wakes up and she begins, perhaps, you might say, she begins to see. For the first time, she begins to see herself and others with greater clarity. And that's actually a great turning point. Um, the little boy ends up taking a nap that is exactly 
just like Dev always takes naps, but he didn't wake up after 12 minutes. He didn't open his eyes as she stepped out of the silver cocktail dress, right? There's differences here. He, he had a more innocent sleep. Dev is, is sleeping for 12 minutes because he has to get back to his wife. Um, he has to at least have the semblance of being still a, a husband and a family man. But this, uh, this phrase here, uh, when she imagines when he would have heard this phrase, sexy, is saying you love someone that you don't even know. Um, she figures it out, right? Uh, bottom of 108. Tell me, Rohin's mother would shriek. Tell me if she's sexy. In the end, his father would admit that she was, and his mother would cry and cry in a bed surrounded by a tangle of clothes, her eyes puffing up like bullfrogs. How could you, she'd ask, sobbing. How could you love a woman you don't even know? So what is this? What is this we've sold our souls for in our culture, a culture that has said, if you're sexy, you can get ahead. In a culture that says, if you work on your looks and put the right makeup on and put the right kind of dress on or the right shirt, or the right pants, if you look a certain way, you'll advance in your career. You'll advance among others. You'll be valued more at the party or at the restaurant. People will look at you and value you because of your sex appeal. This is a really tragic thing that, that many of us, and I have to admit, certain times in my life, I've fallen prey to this and, and thought it was a way to, to get some extra props and some extra attention. Um, you know, that's an empty, empty path and one that always ends in disappointment. It's a waste of time and energy. It's a waste of life. And that's, it's something you could fall into, not just for a season, but it could really take over your mind for a, a long period of time. It is very tragic. May we all wake up to this and see that our value is, is found in things much deeper, in relationships that are built uh, on emotion and intellect, on relationships that are built on, on heart connection and not just a physical a physicality and a, and a gratification of sexual desire. Um. Miranda cries and cries, right? Um, she she believed at the bottom of 109. The day before, as she'd cried, Miranda had believed she would never forget anything, not even the way her name looked written in Bengali. She'd fallen asleep beside Rohim, and when she woke up, he was drawing an airplane on the copy of The Economist she'd saved, hidden under the bed. Who's Devajit Mitra, he'd asked, looking at the address label. Um, this... This episode with this little boy allows her a new clarity, allows her to wake up from her stupor. Her heart skips a beat. That's interesting medical language as well as emotional language, right? Imagine uh, those things that they, people put on the hearts that they say, clear, one, two, three, and it shocks the heart, right? The shock, her heart in some ways has been re, reinvigorated, re-enlivened. And so even now, after this period with Rohin, this night with Rohin, it changes her vision so much so that she doesn't want to be with Dev anymore. And perhaps we can only hope that she is seeking something bigger. That says here at the end, um, it was cold but sunny. She knew, and so she walked all the way down Commonwealth Avenue, past the restaurants where Dev had kissed her, and then she walked all the way to the Christian Science Center. The Matbarium was closed, but she bought a cup of coffee nearby and sat on one of the benches in the plaza outside the church, gazing at its giant pillars and its massive dome, and the clear blue sky spread over the city. I, I love this as, as a symbol, if you will, to perhaps her future, um, representative of the fact that she may be more broad-minded now, right? Her eyes have been open. 
she's going to the Mapparium by herself, although it's closed. There is that there's that sense that she's looking for some knowledge of a, of a bigger world. Even as she stares from the plaza at the church, at, at its giant pillars and massive dome, um, there's something of a greater knowledge beyond herself that she is perhaps in pursuit of. Um, and then at the clear blue sky spread over the city, her eyes are up, not down, not simply at her own body, not simply at her own kind of physicality, but beyond herself. Uh, and perhaps she's dreaming and wondering of what else is out there. May that be true of each of us. Uh, may each of us each day wake up with a sense that there is something bigger than just ourselves to think about today, our own desires and our own lusts. And that's kind of where this woman Miranda ends up in this story with a sense of something greater that will lead to a life of greater fulfillment because it's not just based on lust and sexual and personal desire. All right, that's it. See you next time.